Well, through the years, I'm surprised how God has used a wide variety of things to cause me to grow. Whether it was navigating the uncharted waters of sharing God's love in practical ways with no strings attached by handing out bottles of water, to dealing with our state representative who disagreed with my sermon on politics, to learning how to encourage my wife when she was first diagnosed with cancer in 2006. God used all of these experiences to to, to, uh, make me grow. And I remember on one occasion leading a team of eight people on a mission trip. Uh, This was a number of years ago now to Fresno, Mexico. It's roughly eight hours south of, of the border to the vineyard there. We were going to do some kingdom prayer ministry training. We'd driven about four hours approached uh, the city of Saltillo when our van began to run very roughly, started chugging, that's the real technical term, and uh, it, it, it slowed to about 15 miles an hour, and uh, it wouldn't shift out of first gear. Now, we managed to chug along to a gas station in Saltillo where we refueled, thinking perhaps we had bad fuel, but to no avail, it still didn't uh, run. So we pulled over to the side of the road. We're still now four hours from our destination. There's no cell service. Uh, we had no way to reconnect with our awaiting party to tell them of our misfortune. We had no mechanic on board or in vicinity and no Spanish speakers in the van. The team is looking to me for leadership. <laughs> and what they couldn't see uh, from the outside is that on the inside, I was trembling violently because of the fear and uncertainty we faced. I didn't have a clue what we were going to do. But I knew that we had to trust Jesus to help us. And so I thought, well, Jesus spoke to inanimate objects. So I said, guys, I only know one thing left to do. Let's gather around the van, lay hands on the van, and command it in Jesus' name to run smoothly. And I'm sure people that drove past wondered what in the world we were doing. I cannot explain what happened mechanically, but I got back inside the van, started it up. It ran perfectly for the next four hours to to Fresno, and then the 36 hours back to Champaign. God used that set of dramatic circumstances to cause me to grow. <laughs> in willingness to actually take a risk and trust him in a crazy way, and then later to confess my fears to the team that I was leading. <laughs> now, this morning we're continuing our sermon series titled, How Do We Grow? And so far we've learned that we can become new and different people through the Holy Spirit. Um, We don't have to stay the way we are. Secondly, we've learned that God's desire for all of his children is that we actually grow into Christ-likeness. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, that we throw off our old sinful nature and our former way of life, life, and instead... We let the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes. We put on the new nature created to be like God. We've discovered that we can actually close the gap between where we are and where Jesus is by leaning into the three core 
competencies of Christ-likeness. First, cultivating an intimate relationship with God the Father through prayer and reading His Word. Second, through living in vital and authentic relationships. And today, we'll see that God causes us to grow when we compassionately and powerfully extend His kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for this beautiful fall day. Thank you for health and soundness of mind that enable us to get up and breathe deeply and enjoy your creation. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Lord, we bless your name for these gifts that we are uh, privileged to allow uh, to, to have today. We, we bless your name for uh, the life that we have in Christ. We bless your name for the fullness of the Spirit and uh, the favor and blessing of your kingdom in our lives. We bless your name for the security of a certain future in Jesus. Thank you. And we welcome you here in this room and next door in Vineyard Kids. Lord, put power on your word to our lives as we attend to it, as we give, as we worship, as we connect with uh, friends old and new today. Come and change us is our desire that we'd look more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. If we were to conduct an informal survey this morning by asking, what is the goal of the Christian life? I suspect we'd receive as many different answers as there are people in this room. You might be thinking, well, to get to heaven or to become good people, to live moral and upright lives, to extend God's kingdom and influence others towards Jesus or Christianity, to build the church, or some might be thinking to serve the lost and the sick and the poor, or to advocate for righteousness and justice in our culture. Probably other answers as well. I think there's a germ of truth in every one of those. But I would like to suggest that more broadly, just as we've seen over the last several weeks, that the goal for followers of Jesus is to actually grow to look like him. We are to become increasingly Christ-like in our words and our works and our way of life. The Apostle John described it well this way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's the goal. Now, when we look at the record of Jesus' life and ministry in the four Gospels, uh, we, we see that he reached out in love and compassion to all people everywhere. He called men and women and children to relationship with God the Father, and he did so across racial and cultural and social and gender lines. He forgave sin. He healed the sick. He, con- he comforted the grieving. He uh, encouraged the poor and helpless. He brought freedom to those who were demonized. He restored those who had been marginalized by society. He fed the hungry. He even raised the dead. He taught God's truth, and he corrected the ways that religion had misrepresented God to the people. In the summary written by Dr. Luke in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 38, we see that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
He reached out in love and compassion to all people everywhere, doing good, extending God's kingdom. And so when we do that, when we do good and extend God's kingdom to all people everywhere, we grow personally and spiritually to look more like Jesus. So what might this look like then in our sleeping, eating, going to work and school and grocery shopping, doing laundry, mowing the grass, walking around everyday ordinary life? Well, I'd like to begin by answering the question with a a word of encouragement. And that word of encouragement is found in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 1, verse 6, where he said, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Having begun the lifelong journey of following Jesus, we can be assured that God will complete his work of us growing up. We've described it this way. We have been changed. That's salvation. We are now being changed. That's sanctification. And we will be completely, totally changed. That's glorification. We're not left to our own strength or our own devices to get the job done. We don't have to struggle with self-improvement, gritting our teeth through sheer willpower and determination, going to live like Jesus. You know what? We can't look like Jesus on our own strength or power or resources. We have to trust the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed in every follower of Jesus. God himself lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, and we have to trust the Holy Spirit to complete the job that God started. And so, friends, even though growth to Christ-likeness probably feels incredibly slow and incremental, it comes in fits and starts. It's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, two steps forward, three steps back, left foot, right foot. God's promise is that it's going to happen and it will be complete. Someday. You don't need to fear uh, being left behind or that you've arrived too late in life, that you can never catch up to where everybody else already is. You don't need to worry about getting passed up or that at some point you're going to crash and burn. You don't need to worry that you just don't have the skills or the knowledge or the intellectual acumen. No, you don't need to worry about all those things. You see, because it really doesn't depend on you anyway. It depends on Jesus, you cannot grow yourself to Christ's likeness. Growth ultimately depends on God, who loves you and already gave everything he's got for you, who fills you with his very presence and then promises in this text that he will continue his work until the day it's finally finished, on the day when Jesus returns. So now what does it mean that we're going to grow as we lean into this third core ingredient of Christ-likeness, compassionately and powerfully extending God's kingdom. Well, I'd like to offer several thoughts to you this morning. First is that we grow when we, like Jesus, are outward-focused. If we were to ask ten random Peorians, 
of all people, who do you think most closely resembles Jesus? Who might they answer? Shout it out. Mother Teresa? Anybody else? Billy Graham? Yeah, those were two out of the three that I guessed. I would add the Pope uh, as well, since our community is about 40% uh, liturgical. The three most anticipated answers would be uh, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, and the Pope. Mother Teresa, most poignantly, that was the one that you answered most prevalently, because she and the Missionaries of Charity, the Catholic organization that she founded, live an outward-focused life like Jesus. The Missionaries of Charity today number about 4,500 sisters. They're present in 133 countries around the globe. They run, as you probably know, hospices and homes for people with HIV, AIDS, leprosy, and tuberculosis, soup kitchens, children's and family counseling programs, orphanages, and schools. Mother Teresa, in many of our minds, in our perceptions, is that she embodied what Jesus did and said most closely. Mark chapter 10, verses 30, uh, 43 to 45, Jesus said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus lived in others focused life. Mother Teresa lived an others-focused life. And if we are to grow to look like Jesus, then we too will live an others-focused life. Now, you don't have to join the missionaries of charity. You don't have to move to a foreign country to be a missionary. You don't even have to serve and volunteer for the Salvation Army here in the United States. Now, you certainly may do any of those three if it's what God wants you to do. But we just need to ask the Holy Spirit right where we are to empower us to share his truth and his love and his mercy and his power where we live and learn and work and play and shop and eat. That's what we do. We understand that life isn't just about us or our comfort or our happiness, or our busy schedule, or our activities, or our remodeling, or Pinterest projects, or our whatever. It's about others. So, our sleeping, eating, going to work, and going to school, grocery shopping, doing the laundry, mowing the grass, walking around everyday ordinary lives, is our ministry. We live as a full-time disciple right where we are. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we live a life focused on others. We listen to them. We care about them. We treat them with respect and dignity, uh, and we refuse to judge them. We take an interest in their lives. We actually become good neighbors. We serve them in love when we have time and, and energy and resources. We know that at the end of time, when we stand before the great white throne of judgment, Jesus is going to say, come, you who are blessed of the Father, and inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison." And you visited me. You see, kingdom people live others-focused lives. 
We pray for others. We encourage others. We speak words of blessing in their lives. We help them. We proactively do unto others as we would have them do to us. That's called living the golden rule. How are we going to grow? Well, because all of these things are going to cause us to have to deny ourselves. That was one of the fundamental characteristics of being a Christ follower. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Pick up the cross and follow me. What is the self that he's asking us to deny? It is that independent, stubborn, selfish spirit that insists on living life on its own terms and on its own pleasure. Thank you very much. Jesus said that is what you have to deny. That's what you have to put to death in order to be my follower. So when we deny ourselves and invest in people, when we become others-focused, we actually more fully follow Jesus and we grow up to look like him. Secondly, we grow when we, like Jesus, live with an open-handed generosity. The Bible tells us in John 3.16 that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. You see, God is a giver. That's his nature. And then Jesus, who was God in the flesh, Jesus modeled that same open-handed generosity everywhere he went. His teaching, his lifestyle, uh, all demonstrated that he was a giver. Everywhere he went, he gave. He met the physical and emotional and relational and spiritual uh, needs of people all around him. He freely gave what he had to give. He never refused anyone that came to him for help. And he seemed to place a much lower value on material things that most of us do in the Western world. Never owned a home. Uh, he didn't own a mean of, means of transportation. Had to borrow a donkey at the end of his life. He didn't embrace the conventional means of of savings in that in that day. It would have been to have flocks and herds, or to have storehouses of oils and spices or food, of which Jesus had none. And yet, all of his needs were met in abundance. And he was a channel to meet the needs of people. And then he encouraged people who followed him to live with these same values. Several texts would illustrate this. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to zip over to Luke's Gospel, the sixth chapter. We'll read a number of verses here that just illustrate how Jesus encouraged his followers to live his way. Luke 6.30, give to anyone who asks And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you'd like them to do to you. Verse 34, if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Verse 38, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. On another occasion in Luke 12, Jesus said this in verse 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life's not measured by how much you own. Verse 33, Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. 
and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes, your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Where your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. So Jesus is telling his followers that when we steward our material blessings in the way that he instructs right here, that is, we give, we share, we bless, we lend with no expectation in getting things back, when we live with an open-handed generosity, it will require that we trust him, won't it? I mean... In some ways, it makes absolutely no natural sense to take the hard-earned money that we've worked by the sheer sweat of our brow and the investment of the lion's share of our time in the last week and then give it away. That's crazy. (laughs) It's going to mean we have to trust Jesus to provide for us. It means when we give, for instance, in just a few moments when we receive our offering and you, if you participate in that, When you give or when you live with open-handed generosity in any other manner, you are saying, Jesus, I'm giving and I trust you to now provide my needs according to your riches in glory. I'm trusting you to, to close the gap. I refuse to worry or be anxious about how you're going to provide. I know that you are my shepherd, my good shepherd, and I am your sheep. I am the branch that's connected to the vine. I know, Lord, that when I fully follow you, you will meet my need. And so we extend God's kingdom. We grow to look more like Jesus, and we grow when we give. R.G. Letourneau, the founder of R.G. Letourneau Company, uh, manufactured earth-moving equipment. They built a manufacturing facility right here in Peoria. Numbers of you might know that, 1935. Parenthetically, it was sold in, in 53 to the Westinghouse Air Brake Company, Wabco, and then was then later sold to American Standard Industries. They made plumbing fixtures. And then later, Dresser Industries, and is now known as Kumatsu. It had its roots in R.G. Letourneau Company. And his biography is quite inspiring. He used his extraordinary business skills and creativity to extend God's kingdom through giving. He was renowned as a devoted Christian, and he began early in his business career to practice what he called a reverse tithe. He, li- he, he, he lived on 10% and gave 90% of his personal and business income to the Lord's work. He established a foundation, later a liberal arts and technical college. I thought it's interesting that uh, especially helpful in his decision of bearing witness to God's kingdom in, in the marketplace, he did it not by uh, instituting a mandatory chapel service at, if he worked at Letourneau, Uh, nor did he only hire Christians, as maybe some companies might do. Rather, he promoted a biblical work ethic at every level in his operation because he believed, and I quote, in that kind of atmosphere, your toughest roughneck is very apt to meet Jesus himself, and then you've got something, end quote. The kingdom of God expanded in immeasurable ways and continues to impact generations today because of the open-handed generosity of R.G. Letourneau. We may never have the resources uh, of a Letourneau, 
but all Christ followers have the same capacity to extend God's kingdom when we live with open-handed generosity. When you give your stuff away at a reverse garage sale, when... (laughs) Craig, I should have told you we were going to put that up there, but you're such a great sport. Thank you for being willing. And, of course, leave it to Steve to do it, right? For those listening on the podcast, (laughs) there's a really great picture on the PowerPoint right now. Maybe it's to give a sum of money away to a person in need. Maybe it's to steward a larger asset and to give away a vehicle to a person in need. Or maybe it's this coming Advent season you're going to reach out to a single parent that struggles to make ends meet, or some underprivileged person in our church family, or maybe in in the neighborhood in which you live. As we give, we grow to look more like Jesus. Thirdly, we grow when we, like Jesus, take risks and trust God. Now, at the start of this message, I asked the question, what's the goal of the Christian life? And among many of your acceptable answers, the most compelling, I believe, is to fully follow Jesus with our whole life and grow to become like him. After all, Jesus invited us into relationship with these words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow me. Luke 9.23 The Gospel of John records a similar ethos, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Jesus frequently used the language of following him. And so I say that Christian life is one of seeing where Jesus is and then following him. And that's not impossible because his promise to us in John 10 is that my sheep listen to my voice, they know me, and they follow me. And so the Christian life is listen and obey, listen and obey, listen and obey. See where Jesus is, follow him there. See where Jesus is, and then follow him there. It's this dynamic, interactive uh, relationship of hearing and obeying, following where Jesus is leading you, taking a risk and exercising faith, because you don't know where he's going. He's not often going to tell you. You don't know how you're going to get there. It's interesting, if you were to read the biographies of the men and women that God is using, both here at home and and abroad, we often discover they were people or are people who are willing to actually take a risk and follow Jesus where he's leading them to go. Hudson Taylor was a British missionary to China, spent 50 years there. And many today consider Hudson Taylor the most influential evangelist since the Apostle Paul has done more to change the face of Christianity in the 20th and 21st century than any other person. George Mueller was a British Christian who cared for and educated over 10,000 orphans by simply trusting Jesus for everyday's needs in the middle 1850s. Today, Jackie Pullinger is a charismatic missionary to the walled city in Hong Kong uh, who went there as a teacher and now reaches hundreds and thousands of addicts and prostitutes and destitute people providing rehabilitation and housing through her St. Stephen's ministry. 
And each of these, Taylor and uh, Mueller and Pollinger would all say they simply were willing to take a risk by hearing what they thought Jesus asked them to do, and then they did it. Now, you might not ever be called to China or to Hong Kong or to work with orphans, but God does invite each of you as a Christ follower to hear and obey, to hear and obey. And when you do that, you grow and you look more like Jesus. He's inviting you to do and to to give and to speak and to serve and to share what he puts on your heart. Now, it takes risk, doesn't it? Because we think, well, what if it doesn't work? Or what if I fail? Or what if they don't receive me? Or what if there aren't any results? Or what if I collapse in a heap? Or what if I look stupid? Or what if I'm rejected? Or what if they cut off a relationship? There's a lot of what ifs. That's, that's the element of risk in following Jesus. But conversely, we could say, well, what if it works? What if it is, what if it is successful? And what if it is exactly what Jesus invited you into? Following Jesus where he leads us is a risky, radical adventure. Now, I'd like to wrap up this morning by suggesting some specific action steps. It's not a prescription for your growth. Neither is this a template for the Vineyard Church Peoria, you know, like one size fits all. But as the Holy Spirit leads, these are just some simple and practical steps that we could all take to extend God's kingdom uh, in the outward-focused, generous, risk-taking ways that I've just got through describing. First, grow by living as a disciple in the three neighborhoods where God has already placed you, where you live, where you work, and the people with whom you do life. Live as a disciple right now, full-time. Begin each day with a simple prayer. It needs not be long or complicated. A simple prayer of surrender. Jesus, uh, good morning. Here's how, here's how it works for me I, as my feet hit the floor. Jesus, good morning. Hi, how are you today? I'm sleepy, but um, okay, Lord, t- this is the day that you've made. I'll rejoice in it because it's a gift from you. And I'm, I, I want to worship you and serve you today. Fill me now, Holy Spirit. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing and saying today. Empower me to be your follower in your name. Amen. And then I get up, and it, it were a, a small variety of something like that. It's starting each day with a prayer of surrender and asking to be filled with the Spirit so you can see and hear where he's moving in your three neighborhoods, where you work and where you live and where you do life. And so during that day, then, you listen to people, and you observe people, and you live in a God-honoring way. You speak words of encouragement and blessing. You don't gossip. You don't criticize. You don't judge. You don't... Let your anger leak out. You forgive others. You overlook faults. You you let go of debts. You say, Jesus, how would you live my life today if you were me? And then you live that way. Live as a disciple in the three neighborhoods where you are. Secondly, you grow by serving in a church ministry. Now, this is a real practical way to be others-focused, and it's simple. If you serve in a ministry in your church family, it's generally safe and it's not terribly time or resource intensive. We've already heard of one opportunity, and that's in in our kids' ministry. There are numbers of other teams here, the welcome team, the hospitality team, our tech team, our facility team that actually prepares the facility for us to use every week. Yay! Shout out to Chad. Talk to him right there. And that's a real simple way that you could invest an hour to an hour and a half once a month and serve our family and become more Christ-like. 
Lots of opportunities for you to serve. And it's simple because it's something that's already structured. You don't have to go invent something. You don't have to create something. You just come alongside the leaders that are serving in those areas. So if you want to grow to look more like Jesus, who came to serve others rather than be served, then you serve in a church ministry. Thirdly, you grow by serving in your community. This town and all the ones surrounding it have hundreds of ways that you can contribute in meaningful way. And so you become the man or the woman or the child who makes a difference in the lives of others. You find a place to serve where God prompts you, some place that's hopefully aligned with your passion and your gifts and your abilities, and you serve. Every Monday in the Pure Journal Star and on their website is a list of 80 organizations that could benefit from your involvement and contribution. Or you can cooperate with our outreach team in ways that are already scheduled on the church calendar. All the admin work has been done for you, and you show up and are a part on the second Saturday or the first Saturday of every month. For instance, on the on the 2nd of November, we're going to distribute 9-volt batteries in a number of neighborhoods as a way of blessing people to take care of their smoke detectors and just say God loves you in a very simple way. And you can just show up and you can serve our community that way. Check for details on the city. Or this uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you can join us as we partner with Southside Mission to distribute Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. It's a wonderful opportunity to share God's love with people in need. You take the dinner that they prepare, they give you the list, the address is all you do, show up and take those dinners to the homes or the apartments or condominiums where, where they instruct you. Awesome opportunity to share God's love with our community. So thirdly, you grow by serving our community. Fourthly, you grow by giving. Now, we are able to fulfill our mission, the Vineyard Church Peoria, right here, right now, by the generous, sacrificial giving of our church members. And for those of you who are already giving, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Your generosity is appreciated. It's it's the way this church functions. For those of you who are not already giving, then I would just nudge you to to ask God, uh, about contributing financially to uh, our church on a regular basis. The size of the gift is, is between you and God. It's the regularity. It's the habit of giving to become more Christ-like that's important. But then you might also ask God to help you identify other ways to give, to live with an open hand. Maybe it's supporting a missionary in a different culture or a church planter across the sea. Maybe it's to uh, a cons- it'd be considering... Uh, ministering through a gift, perhaps anonymously, to an under-resourced person in in our church family or in another neighborhood or someone you know at work or in school. It's, it, would, it would be to give up to a worthy cause. There are lots of them in, in our communities right now. Maybe it's to to consider supporting a child through Compassion International or World Vision. It might be to consider a foster parenting. There are lots of ways that you can make investments uh, in people and organizations and communities by giving, asking God. And then fifthly, grow by going on a mission trip. These are opportunities that have the potential to change your life. Over the year, I've gone on dozens of them. Our four, all four of our children have gone, and I can tell you it's one of the things that was very important for shaping their worldview to be a Christ follower. They immerse you in another culture. They cause your worldviews to expand, for your values to be pressed and lived, and for your life goals to be reevaluated. And Lord willing, in the year 2014, our church family will go on at least one, one that's uh, close enough that, that can be affordable. 
And I would urge you as that opportunity unfolds in the, in the uh, year ahead that you ask God if this would be one of the ways that he wants you to grow. So grow by living as a disciple, by serving in a church ministry, by serving in your community, by giving and going on a mission trip. I'm looking forward to all of the ways that God's going to use to cause us all to grow. And we need to celebrate growth. We're going to call it out because the church doesn't party enough. One of the ways the church has done this through history is through water baptism. And that's why next week our service is going to focus on water baptism. All of those uh, of you who have decided to follow Jesus, you can publicly identify this change and this growth in your life by being water baptized. Now, if you've never been baptized before or if you've never been baptized uh, as an adult, having made a decision to follow Christ, as in maybe you were baptized or sprinkled as an infant, you could use this as an opportunity to proclaim your faith now as an adult. And uh, that's next Sunday. It's going to be the centerpiece of our service. You can indicate your willingness just on the Connect card or go on the city and, and indicate your response. If you've got questions, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast from the 14th of April where we unpacked in that sermon um, called Understanding Water Baptism, the, the biblical and, and practical significance of it. And if you've got uh, other questions, you could pick up a, a brochure at the Info Center on water baptism or talk to me uh, uh, after the service or sometime this week. We do have invitations available at the Info Center for you to hand to your friends or family or coworkers. As we've often seen, this is a great uh, time of sensitivity. They're open to, to, to receive a genuine invitation to accompany you to celebrate this, this great event in your life. We'd love to have you join us. Lord, thanks for your commitment to us that you are going to cause us to continue to grow until the day uh, you return. Thank you that you don't give up on us and that nothing can stand in the way. Thank you. Lord, we're, we're humbled and grateful that you're willing to make that investment in our lives. You're committed to our growth. I thank you, God, for the power and person of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I look Look forward, anticipate how you're, you're going to cause each member of the Vineyard Church to, to grow, to look more and more like you. And now, Lord, as we uh, trust you by giving in the offering, we, we do present these gifts to you as a way of saying we trust you and we want to grow to look more like you. Bless those, Lord, who give today, and I pray that you'd enable those who desire to give but can't. Uh, I pray you'd give them the ability, open up the the windows of blessing, Lord, and provide for them in ways that you know they need. Receive these gifts for what they are, tokens of our love in your name. Amen.